You remember a lesson about balance. A lesson not just karate only. Lesson for all life. I'm going to teach you the style of karate that was taught to me. You're going to be my karate teacher? No. I'm going to be your sensei. You'll build strength. You'll learn discipline. And when the time is right, you'll strike back. I don't know why you'd ever want to bring back Cobra Kai. What, you looking to take karate? It's my dad. You could still make something of yourself. Like your old pal Daniel LaRusso? You want to stick around? Learn a few things? Miyagi-Do is about defending yourself and protecting others. Hey, Sensei, is there any particular way you want me to wash these windows? No, I don't give a shit. Are you losers? No, Sensei! Are you nerds? No, Sensei! Are you sure? No, Sensei! You have the potential to be better than I ever was. Show them what you got. You want to finish this? Cut. All right, we get it? I think so. And put one of those hash browns at the end, you know, like hash brown team Cobra Kai or something. And then send it to the internet! Mr. Miyagi treated me like a son. He wouldn't keep any secrets from me. Are you sure about that? Welcome to the first episode of 2021 of Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti. I am a casting director, best known probably for Criminal Minds, where I cast killers and psychopaths and FBI agents and everything in between. And joining me today are my two sexy beast co-hosts. Please say hello to Brian Allen Hill. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. We survived. Happy New New. Happy New Year. I'm going to keep you, because so, I know you have to pee, so I'm just going to just keep talking to you right now. That's right. Just kidding. I'll just... <laughs> I'm gonna, and my, I'm other, say it, say my, my other sexy beast, the thunder from down under, Dean Laffin. Oof. Hello, everybody. Well, happy New Year, my dear. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. I'm really happy to see everybody, and along with Dean and Brian, we have two very, very special guests joining us today to talk about a streaming series that started out on YouTube before it was stolen away by Netflix. And it's based on a very popular movie. And I have to say, I never thought that this would be the kind of movie and series that we would cover on Killer Casting because our fare tends to be a little bit darker and twistier. But before I tell you what it is that we're going to be covering, this is a little bit of a wind up here. I just wanted to let you know that 
we are gathered here today because not only am I a casting director in the film and TV industry, which I love and it's my passion, but as some of you know, I also have another foot in the true crime space because of my other podcast, Real Crime Profile, that I do with former FBI profiler Jim Clementi and former New Scotland Yard profiler Laura Richards. But what you don't know is that when you are in the true crime space, it is a weird and wonderful world. (laughs) And you make a lot of friends who also have true crime podcasts. We are a bit of a dysfunctional family, but we all try to support each other when we have new endeavors and appear on each other's shows. So with that in mind, I reached out to a longtime friend of mine who has an incredible true crime podcast. In fact, this guy is the OG, original creator of what we now call crowdsourced crime solving. So let me tell you, if you've been wrongfully convicted of a murder, you definitely want this guy on your side and his army on your side. And I cannot be talking about anybody else but the amazing Bob Ruff from the Truth and Justice podcast. Hey, Bob. Hey, hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Our hero. Our hero. It's really true. And if you don't know about Bob's podcast, please check it out. I mean, he just goes to bat for people who have been wrongfully convicted of murder. And in some cases, he has helped law enforcement and helped get their release. Is that can you just talk real quick, Bob, about your show? Yeah. So Truth and Justice, we're going up coming up on our 10th season. Each season we cover a new case. When we cover a case, it's a combined format where I'm telling a narrative, but the narrative that I'm speaking every week is a narrative form of my investigation, which I put out to my audience. And then we share case documents, crime scene photos, all that with the audience who then joins in and puts in all of their expertise and participates in the investigation. And it's it went from uh, a book club to we now work with several Innocence Project organizations around the country, and you know, we have lawyers bringing us cases now. So yeah. it's, it's it's different. It's not not. I was a fireman before that, so it was just a hobby, and now it's my job. Yes, and you've helped many people, and you have just an amazing fan base, and I'm so I'm just so happy to be part of that. Okay, so when I contacted you, Bob, and I said, hey, you want to come on my new podcast? La la la. Tell me what show you're into, what you're watching. I thought it was going to be something like really down and dirty. And I don't know what (laughs) I thought it was going to be. But you wanted to talk about Cobra Kai, of course. (laughs) Why, of course? How is that? Of course. Well, you happen to ask me, is there any are there any shows that you're into right now? I don't really watch a whole lot of TV. And you happened to ask me right when I had just discovered season one and two of Cobra Kai on Netflix and had mm-hmm. had binged the whole thing. So that's what I was into. And this is perfect timing because now season three has dropped, which I that's, consumed in 10 hours on yes, Saturday. Yes, as did we. Now, we should say, I know I have two boys <clears throat> and we binged through the whole thing in one day. And you have three boys? Two boys? Three boys and a girl. Three boys and a girl. Right, right, right. And one thing I noticed is that it's really fun for adults and kids to watch this show together. Did you find that as well? Yeah. So my nine-year-old Parker sat with me and my wife all day and binge it. We had to take break. He had Christmas prizes. Of course, he wanted to play. So we had to take a break to play a game of Uno or whatever he wanted to do. But he was he was by my side the whole time. My my one son's 20 and is not in the house anymore, but my my oldest boy, Quentin, who's about turned 16, 
he's into it, but he just got into it. Mm-hmm. And he is, he's our video editor on my Bob and Weave podcast. So <laughs> our episode wow. on Cobra Kai got him interested. And now he is like halfway through season two. So he was avoiding us the whole time we were watching it. Mm-hmm. My daughter, not so much, just not interested. Really? Okay. Well, obviously, if you all haven't heard of it, uh, Cobra Kai is based on the very popular 1984 movie called Karate Kid. And we're going to talk about Karate Kid in a second. And the more I thought, Bob, about covering Cobra Kai, it it just made sense because the cast has some unique attributes and and the movie has some unique attributes too. And I also thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to get on my show someone who can really comment about the martial arts aspects of the series. And this is someone who's been a sensei for almost half a century. He's a sixth Dan black belt in judo and taekwondo. He's the founder of the Cal State University East Bay Taekwondo program, where he was where he is the professor emeritus after teaching there for about 40 years. And yeah, he's my dad. Please welcome <laughs> Professor Robert Zambetti. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> that was Brian, be quiet. Say that. Okay. So dad, say hi. <laughs> I said hi. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being here, Dad. Sure. I'm <laughs> so, to see what you do. <laughs> yes, you will see what I do. It's really not that hard. So one thing, unfortunately, Bob, I know that you loved Cobra Kai and probably Karate Kid, but my dad had never watched the Karate Kid, right? No, never saw it. Despite being into martial arts. Is there any reason that you may have avoided watching it? I made it a point not to watch anything that had anything to do with martial arts in an entertainment field because I couldn't just sit and enjoy it. I, I, I would analyze it and I, I, I couldn't go in with a blank mind. So mm-hmm. I'd be criticizing what was going on. And I, so that's not a good way of enjoying anything. Right. But you didn't you tell Same me once that you, when Bruce Lee hit the scene that it completely changed people's interest in martial arts and that's kind of how you got into it by watching um, movies about martial arts no yes you did (laughs) you told me that i told you another thing you have to hear me well i started in judo was 1962 Mm -hmm. and bruce lee didn't come around till 70 something or other so before bruce lee the, the only real martial art that was popular at all was judo and at that time, it was the third biggest AAU sport behind track and field and swimming. And you would never know it by now. But after Bruce Lee, then the striking arts became popular and became profitable. Mm-hmm. And then so people started opening up uh, various kinds of karate or whatever you want to call it, schools. And that's what really started it. And then right. judo really went downhill until Gracie came up and uh, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Which actually brought up judo. Hmm. So how about everybody else? How old were you when you saw The Karate Kid? I'm just curious. I had to go back and kind of refresh when it was released. And so I was 12 when when it came out. And I remember being blown away by the movie. And I, and I was thinking about it today, like what, as a 50 year old man, what was it about the movie when I was 12 that captured me. And I think it was that Daniel was just like this everyday kid. I mean, and in a way it's, it's a Cinderella story. It's the, it is the Cinderella story. It's the template, right? Mm-hmm. Miyagi's the fairy godmother. You know what I mean, you got the wicked stuff and he 
Daniel rises up and he becomes. Well, it's also the Rocky story, quite literally. Yeah, I mean, he becomes, you know, he becomes a king. Director that directed Rocky. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like, but there, so, so it's like the messaging is like, I could do that. I could rise up. And I mm-hmm. think there's also this generational thing where so many of us at that time, at that age range, shared his experience of like being with a single mom living in apartments and to show the kind of greediness of living in the valley. I didn't grow up in the valley, but I grew up in San Antonio. And I mean, like my mom and I were on our own for a while Mm -hmm. and living in apartments before she got married. And so there was this kind of immediate relatability of that is my experience. And if Daniel can overcome, right, then so can I. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. I think that that was something that resonated very strongly. I mean, I think as a 12-year-old, fuck, I care. I mean, it's like it's got action. That's what I responded to. But as a grown man now, my experience of looking back on it, it's like, oh, those things, absolutely. And and not everybody was attractive. People felt real. That was a time in casting, I think, where real people were, were still finding a place in the popular media. That was my experience. Bob Ruff, when, when did you see The Credit Kid? I meant to ask my mother that this weekend, and I, and I forgot. So I was five when it came out. I remember watching it when I was very, very young and just being completely into the first Karate Kid. I remember going to the theater to see the Karate Kid part two. I don't know if I went to the theater to see the first one because I was only five years old, or I may have watched it on Betamax <laughs> somewhere around that time when once it came out. But yeah, I was between five and 10 years old when I saw the first two. And it was a very different experience than Brian's. And, and for me, it was just karate was everything. I could do this. I had a headband on my head. I went to school. I was practicing the crane technique on any stump I could find in my yard. And I was going to be the karate kid. And and what I found is, like I said, we, we covered the first two seasons on my other podcast. The, the first two, back six months ago, mm-hmm. uh, we, we talked about it with Zach and Bob, Bob and we with my co-host Zach and our guest Mike. And what we wanted to talk about was they're both younger than me. So I'm mm-hmm. 41. Mike is 30 or Zach is 35 and Mike's 30. And I wanted to see how it, how it related through the generations. And I mm-hmm. found that, that it, it didn't, neither one of them cared for it. Neither one of them finished the first season. They mm-hmm. couldn't, they just thought it was corny. It was kooky. They of Cobra like Kai, it. but not of Karate Kid, right? Well, the same with Karate Kid. They both yeah. watched the Karate Kid when they were younger. But by then, I think it was a different time for in the eighties, like when karate was like the, it was, there was, it wasn't, funny it wasn't like imaginary like when i was in school like that was real shit like karate is the way that, that you got to learn karate to be able to fight and we all we were, there was fights in school all the time and they missed all that by the time they got to that age so to them it was all just corny and then cobra kai which i think we would probably mostly agree is kind of corny but yeah. to me it's like an homage back For to sure. the karate kid they didn't appreciate it at all but then if i jump to go down even further to my 15 year old who fancies himself a bit of a film critic, he loves it and really appreciates it for what for the art that it is. Mm-hmm. Where some of the things that are corny and some of the dialogue and the things that, you know, Billy Johnny Lawrence's character is the things he says that are really throwbacks to the 80s. Like he appreciates yeah. it. They yeah. didn't. To them, they were like just far enough past it where this is just stupid to them. Oh, I'm just scared. 
you know, the tournament and everything. You remember a lesson about the balance? Yeah. A lesson not just karate only. Lesson for whole life. Whole life have a balance. Everything be better. Understand? <laughs> Yeah, I understand. Oh, wow. You're the best friend I ever had. You're pretty okay, Hey, folks, if you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to give us a review. Big thumbs up in your listening app of choice. Plus, if you know someone else who'd like the show, send them a link because sharing is caring, right? Now, back to the show. So it came out in 1984. In 1984, about 3,000 films were released domestically and internationally that year. And I mean, some amazing films, just heavy hitting, like The Natural, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Splash, it just all kinds of iconic and blockbuster films and status films. So for this, and, and in the 80s, in the entire 80s, about 35,000 films were released interna- internationally and domestically. And for this film to sort of be in this top tier of films where you are still quoting wax on, wax off and sweep the leg, Johnny and whatever. And you still have most people, I mean, Bob, what you said was a kind of flies in the face of what I'm going to say, but most people have a lot of nostalgia and sentimentality for these, the original cast. I mean, I can only think of a couple of movies like Star Wars original cast, maybe Back to the Future original cast, but this original cast somehow, this casting of these actors and these characters just resonated as, as you said, Brian, through so many, so many people, through so many decades, 30 years later. I should say it was cast by the great Caro Jones, who cast Rocky and then went on to cast Silent Rage and Force Vengeance with Chuck Norris, the Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres. I mean, just just really interesting uh, casting director. And as I said, John Avildsen directed Rocky and also directed Karate Kid. So it had quite a pedigree of people involved in it. Mm. I think that the the nostalgia aspect of the cast is like one of the best parts. It was was the, the two guys I was talking about that didn't care for it. I think they were just they were first of all they weren't born yet when it came out, and so by the time they were old enough to watch it and appreciate it, it just seemed they just didn't care for them for the Karate Kid because by then in, in 1999 it just seemed too far fetched. The whole idea seemed too far fetched. But for me, anyone like my age. And older, I think that it's that was the best part. Every episode, you're wait, like, like when I don't know if you're, if you're doing spoilers or not, you might have bleep me out. But when We're, Chosen comes back, hello, like, that oh. was like they bring everybody back. Like every episode, you're just waiting for right, for right. It's like going to, to a back. reunion again and seeing your your buddies. I just want to talk about the original cast for a second. 
What do you think the uh, legacy is of Mr. Miyagi and Pat Morita's portrayal? I mean, people just really have a, just a strong affection for him. He was actually nominated for an Oscar for his role in The Karate Kid. Thoughts about that, Dad? When you see Mr. Miyagi's portrayal of a sensei, his kind of crotchetiness, but his goodness and his kindness and his discipline, and he doesn't, you know, give out praise very easily. I mean, that feels really true to me to the senseis that I, you know, briefly studied with when I did jujitsu. Well, I, I knew those guys fairly personally, and he is true. The, that person does, did exist and to uh, ex- many examples of it. And maybe his patois is maybe kind of not exactly right, but the, the idea was, and I had a, Japanese instructors admit they would not teach 100% to non-Japanese students. And I said, well, why wouldn't you? He says, well, they just wouldn't get it, that you had to be Japanese to understand what he was trying to get, bring across. No, I didn't agree with that, but they, they were those, those folks. And when you uh, say you knew guys like that, you also mean the people who'd been in internment camps. Like, I think Miyagi had that in his background. Yeah, well, I think, yes, my friends, my Japanese friends, some of them were born in camp. And I mean, I was born 45. So uh, they were just two, a couple, three years old. They were somewhat the same level as I was. So I knew of them quite well. And I wrote my dissertation on uh, the Japanese in California. So I, I had an, another viewpoint into it. Those people that were in the camps won't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Their children do. So it's, it's not unusual that somebody like that would have that in their background and not bring it out. What did you think? So he starts teaching this American kid karate. So you're saying that that would be something that he would have to kind of get over to be able to give that sort of discipline to an American student, to a white kid. Well, it's kind of hard for me to, to critique the writing of a, of a movie like that. I, yeah. I don't, the, the motivations here and there, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, they were, it was very believable to me. I, I was surprised at the movie since I disdained it the, when it came out. I, I, I did appreciate it afterwards, and, which was five days ago. So, <laughs> Right. And then, and then I'm sure you also have known senseis like Kreese, who's just such a great villain that you just love to hate him. In fact, that actor, Marty Cove, I actually cast on Criminal Minds <laughs> as the father of a psychopath. But what did you think of the depiction of that sensei who was just your opponent is your enemy and kick their ass well, in and everything? It's a little late for that. That in the 70s, I would agree, there were guys like that. There were some really evil guys <laughs> they were they they did that but by the 80s it was a business mm-hmm. and you couldn't stay in business acting like that mm. uh, you, you wouldn't keep especially younger folks it's funny is who else auditioned for the role of mr miyagi besides pat marita toshiro mifuni from the fucking seventh samurai movies <laughs> do you remember those movies of course that's He's like the most I went to a lot of his movies. So he auditioned for that role and they thought, oh, he's just too serious for this role. And when Pat Morita auditioned, they were afraid because he'd been known as Arnold on Happy Days and as being a comedian. But he came in very serious, had grown his beard and he nailed it. But I thought that was just such a funny casting note. And then I think Sean Penn was offered the role of Daniel. 
that Ralph Macchio got, and also Charlie Sheen was also offered the role. <laughs> very different really? movie. Oh, really? For <laughs> yeah. real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to talk about the role of Johnny for a second, who's played by the great Billy Zabka. I think what's great about his character is that you can see in his portrayal in The Karate Kid that even though he's following his bad sensei, you can see his conflict. You can see that he knows that some of the things are wrong. And you can also see that his jealousy is kind of driving his his anger and his bullying. And I think because of that, there's this huge fan theory out there in the decades since Karate Kid where people actually champion Johnny and think that Daniel, the Ralph Macchio character, is the real villain. Have you heard of that fan theory? Yeah, but I, but I think that, but I think that we're, it's a bit, uh, well, obviously it's a bit revisionist because I think at the time, Hollywood doesn't do nuance real well, right? So it's like we have a good guy and a bad guy. So there was no question at the time of that movie, like, oh, Johnny's an asshole. He's the villain. Like, look, Ralph Macho, he's just, he's a scrappy kid from Jersey, right? Trying to get by in the world. And, and I think that's the paradigm that Hollywood operates in, in terms of the storytelling. It hasn't been until the last few years that the fan theory coming out and really examining, right? Like really looking at like, Oh yeah, he was in an abusive. I I understand exactly what you're saying about like how Johnny reacted in the world because of his sensei, mm. but that comes with hindsight, I think. Right. And and I think I I love the take. I love the new take, but I think at the time of release, mm-hmm. it was like here's the bad guy, here's the good guy. That's how we that's how we understand the story. Right. 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 I agree. I think that that's one of the cool, personally, I, I mean, I loved all the Karate Kid movies, the first two, kind of the third, but <laughs> the, the important ones. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I enjoy Cobra Kai even more than the movies. And I think that's what's cool about it, because I, I agree exactly with what you're saying, that the difference is in the original movies, there was that very, there was a very clear line. This is This is black. This is white. This is good. This is bad. You knew who you were rooting for. And what they've done with Cobra Kai is really blurred those lines. I mean, you have Kreese is the big bad, mm-hmm. but then there's between Danny and Johnny, there's this constant back and forth where a lot of times Danny does kind of seem like the villain, but then sometimes Johnny kind of seems like the villain. And, and it, it, I think it, it, it causes you to think about what's going on a lot more. And, and yeah. I love it. And I love, I mean, Billy Zabka's portrayal of Johnny in this is, is the best the, the absolute yeah. best acting job i've seen and i'm no i'm no critic i don't i don't know anything about technical acting but for me it's just a consumer of tv and movies it just i mean the way he <laughs> plays the guy that is stuck in the 80s and everything from his banquet beer to his his <laughs> his dialogue to the things he says the things he does how he does he just he plays it so well and he also plays the swings between he's kind of an asshole to really, he's really actually an inspiring guy and you can see him growing. Like he plays those swings very well. I was just, I'm team Johnny. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't think I mentioned that I had never seen the karate kid until maybe like a year ago. So, but there was enough in the zeitgeist that I understood. I knew what it was about. I'd see, you see enough clips and stuff. So, but I didn't know who Billy Zabka was. Right. 
But I did know that he came in to audition for me <laughs> for Criminal Minds. He came in for Beyond Borders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he came in and he was so, I mean, I hope he's going to come on my show. So I don't really want to tell too many I stories. <laughs> I know exactly what in, you're going like, to say. He was like, so first of all, he looked like he'd been on a bender. And then he was like, so, but he was so excited to be there, to be auditioning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jesus Christ, he's either had like 10 Red Bulls before, or he's, I don't know what is going on with him, but, but there was something, yeah, I, that's what I thought too. But there was something about him that was so interesting that I either, I wanted to cast him as an FBI agent because he looks like he's lived through some shit. Or I want to cast him as a psychopath <laughs> because there's something. And so, and he's all, he's, his agent was just always, always, no matter what I was casting, pushing, pushing, pushing him. And so when this happened, I was so happy for him because sometimes it can be a blessing and a curse to be so identified with a role like Johnny in Karate Kid. Everybody knows you, but then you cannot break out of that. And uh, the thing about Criminal Minds is we were able to resurrect a couple people's careers like C. Thomas Howell and other people who were, you know, very iconically known for other things. But I was so happy to see him. He's best when he's making fun of himself. And I think the show works best when it doesn't take itself too seriously it just puts a real smile on your face to see all these characters in the world again that's one of the things that struck me of the series is that first writers they're not taking the piss out of the original show while they love the original show there is a wellspring of goodwill for both of those actors these guys deserve this this good on them uh, good just good to see them back bob ruff you were talking before about the ambiguity in the characters and, and certainly the way that they've written it, the, the opening series one ep one you've got an inversion originally danny was poor and now daniel is a millionaire johnny's working for peanuts and so they've flipped script people really love to see that different pov it signifies that this original script was written to be more ambiguous than the movie ended up being shot because the fact that all the reels there to make Johnny the good guy and Danny the bad guy. It's all there. It's just a question of perspective. So it's really cool. You'd mentioned that, that, that Billy Zabka didn't do a lot after the 80s, but like he was, I don't know how familiar you are with some of his work, but he was horribly typecast in the 80s. He actually did, was in a lot of movies. I can't think of a lot of them off the top of my head, right? He was in The Equalizer. Uh, he did a few things, but he really, he, he was, didn't do that. He was Audrey Griswold's boyfriend. And in the European vacation, but he was typecast. He was always the good looking asshole in every role. He played the same guy in every role in the eighties. Yeah. Well, and Ralph Macchio didn't do a ton after the Karate Kid series. And I mean, before that, I mean, like he was on the way to like teen tiger beats, like, you know, like a serious actor though, because he'd just done the outsiders. Oh yeah. And so he was, but he was a heartthrob. Like he was a cute kid you know what i mean yeah. and i i actually when i was living in denver uh, a friend of mine got us tickets to the they do a broadway series there at the denver center they did uh how to succeed in business without uh really trying and the lead of that touring production was ralph macchio and all i could think of like <laughs> walking in was like oh this guy's gonna be a chatterhead i can't believe i'm watching this and as i'm watching the the musical i'm like holy cow he is so good he really was like kind of a five tool guy and i think he just kind of got lost in 
the shuffle, like there's a, there's a certain type of actor that made it big in the eighties that just like yeah. went away. Yep. Yep. And We're going to turn to Cobra Kai more deeply in a second. Before I do that, we should note that Ralph Macchio was a song. He had great movement skills. He was a dancer and uh, he didn't know any martial arts before the karate kid. He, he learned they had a coach for about two months. Billy Zabka had been a wrestler, but he didn't have any martial arts training at all. And I feel I find that stunning when I think about their performances. Dad, would, would you have guessed that they were so new to? Well, I didn't, wasn't surprised that Macho didn't know anything, but the people around them that were in the tournament and etc., they're fairly skilled. There were some good skills shown there. Macho, I, I, I didn't see anything out of him, but <laughs> the si- other characters in the tournament that they were beating throughout mm-hmm. that thing they were pretty skilled I, I i might have even recognized one or two of them yeah. they must have picked them off of uh, some schools around wherever they were shooting it the, uh, in in the final fight with johnny and danny the referee did you was him bob he was apparent the guy with the mustache apparently yeah very highly ranked fight and in, fa- in uh, fact uh, he did look familiar yes the fight choreographer was pat e johnson that was the guy who trained them and who played that role of the, the referee. What the hell are you doing? You come to my house? Are you insane? I was trying to make things right. Let the past be the past. You still can't leave well enough alone, man. What are you even talking about? You got Cobra Kai reinstated. I'm talking about my car. W- what about your car? Yeah, nice try. You know, those goons of yours could have burned down my whole neighborhood. Goons? What goons? Don't try to play dumb. Son of a bitch gave you up right away. Don't worry, I took care of him and his little biker posse. Louie. All right, listen, I don't know what the hell happened, but I had nothing to do with it. That was my cousin. <laughs> Big surprise. All you LaRussos are the same. Your whole family, man, is rotten to the core. All right, watch it, Johnny. Kick his ass, Dad! Anthony, just go inside. Listen to your dad, kid. You're not going to want to see this. Hey! Hey, I'm going to ask you nice. You get the hell off my property or I'm calling the police. Oh, yeah, you afraid? You know, this is ridiculous. You want to go now? Come on, Johnny. You want to do this? Let's go with it. Come on, come on. What is going on? Dad's about to fight this guy. Amanda, just please go inside. This is between me and Sensei Lawrence. Yeah, you two seem to have this pretty well in hand. It's a normal Saturday afternoon, a couple of grown men about to kick each other into a pool. But now we're going to turn to to more focusing on Cobra Kai. So here you have all of these great characters coming back that we know and love. And you have to balance that with introducing all these new characters that we don't know. So we have the new character, Daniel, now is married and he has a daughter and a little chunky monkey son. I don't know. That character was like such a throwaway. Like just the kid is always on the video game. But he's got this daughter, her name is Mary Mauser, who I cast in Criminal Minds, of course. And then Johnny's protege is Jolo Maradona, who I've known Jolo since he was a teeny, teeny, tiny little guy. And he's such, he was talented even then. But what about the fighting of those kids, dad, of the, of the teenagers in Cobra Kai? Well, I really didn't ex- examine Cobra Kai as much as I guess I should have here. I, you had told me to watch um, <laughs> the Karate Kid, and I did see a few of the episodes. Uh-huh. Uh, the skills are okay. I, my beef, if there's a beef here, is the, the fight scenes and the tournament fight scenes where like that last one, the, the one with the crane and all that stuff, 
where it would be, it'd be impossible for somebody to get hit with that thing, what he, what he did. I mean, nobody would go straight at him. They, it, it'd be stupid. All you have to do is step side and the, to the other side, he'd never touch you. But it, You don't know can defend that kick, though. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> but I, I had my anterior cruciate ligament ripped out, so I could not stand on my right leg and kick for 20 years. So... I know what it's like to have one knee, no good. And the last thing you'd be doing would be to land on it when you kick something because you just collapse. So uh, here, here I am criticizing something that's not really should be criticized. It's, it's, it's a movie. It's not. Yeah, that's true. And it is, a, it is definitely a, a make-believe movie because half of these people would have lawsuits against them if, if this kid kicked this other kid in the face and all these fights. So it's definitely fantasy. But I think that they... They are the kids are working really hard. That, that's what it looks yeah. like to me. That they trained hard and worked hard. Is anybody kind of uh, surprised of the the rules of that? I'm talking about the Karate Kid tournaments. That these are under 18, and they're alternately doing full contact to the head and then getting penalized by kicking to the leg. I mean, if, if any of you have ever seen a tournament like that, I, I think we've never seen a tournament. I would oh, say. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe. True death. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of it go on in the lunchroom in my middle school. <laughs> back then. There were no penalties. No rules. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just, uh, that's my last thing. Yeah. Well, you're talking to a guy, you should know that my dad has had his nose broken, his eye popped out of his socket, his this, <laughs> oh. his that. His, he'd come home and you didn't know what was going to be going on. So that's the real world. So what else did you like about Cobra Kai? Just especially the first season. I thought the second season, they kind of ran out of juice for me. I, I love the first season and the third season a lot. I, I just, I love the rehabilitation of the character of Johnny, but he never gets too perfect. He gets a little better, but then he, he still makes really bad decisions. And that I, I love that they did that. They didn't turn him into a Prince Charming and this amazing father figure to... Jolo, or what is Miguel's character? I think I've made it kind of clear my reluctance to dive into Cobra Kai because anything reboot, revival, reimagining, fuck off. I don't need to see the third reiteration of Spider-Man because (laughs) Sony has the property and they need to keep producing more and more stories. You know what I mean? And so that's how I viewed this. I thought it was a craven money grab. (laughs) preying on our desire for nostalgia. And so I came into season one and I got to be honest, like from episode one, I was hooked. And because just of what you said, like what Billy does with Johnny is so nuanced. I mean, like, and what they're doing with, with the story, like, and, and it's been mentioned earlier, like Daniel comes off as a real jag off in some of the episodes where he's trying to destroy this guy who has barely a a pot to piss in. He does not set himself up as this kind of paradigm of morality. He lets his own kind of resentments about that time kind of get the best of him. I was curious. It is a particular feature of the American male psyche for so many people to kind of like see their high school days as the best days of their lives. And there's this kind of stunted, arrested development where guys just kind of live in that time even on into their 30s and 40s. I don't think that's a particular feature of Europeans or other countries necessarily. And I thought that maybe that's where 
this thing would kind of reside, but but they take they take Johnny along. And like you say, it happens slowly and by degrees where he takes one step forward, two steps back. He's culturally insensitive. And for some reason, I kept thinking like bad Santa. Like, what's this akin to it? And it was like, it's not quite right. And I figured out why. It's bad news bears. Like Johnny is like, he is, it, it's, it has that spirit of bad news bears, like taking in all of these kind of, Island of broken toys and misfits, like bringing them together and judging the shit out of them. And then to see his origin story, to Mm -hmm. see this is where he comes from. I I really like season one was off the charts for me. And it's having done a bunch of shows geared towards young adults. Casting in that genre is really tough because you have a lot of actors who have been trained to do Nickelodeon bullshit mm, or Disneyfication of acting. Yeah. We Fine. love Disney. We'd like to work for you again, Disney, but. <laughs> I can only speak for myself. There's a cottage industry geared towards turning these kids into caricatures. And so to find young adults who can bring seriousness and depth to these kinds of roles, I mean, it's really remarkable that they were able to populate so much of this with really quality actors. Hey, I don't know about you, but I am a podcast addict. I love listening to my pods. But there's one small problem. They're only one-way communication But fear not, dear listener, because thanks to technology, we can have a conversation. You can find us on all the usual socials, on Facebook, Insta, and Twitter, and YouTube, and we'll look forward to meeting you in the virtual space. All right, later. Bob, what was your favorite part of uh, season one of Cobra Kai? My favorite part, really, of all of them was was watching, I think... that just like you said, the the development of Johnny's character and kind of the redemption and the steps forward and back. One thing that did get a little tiring for me through the three seasons was I, I felt like they, they that the writers leaned a little too heavy on the let's let Johnny and Danny be friends and then one thing goes wrong and they're like fuck you guys yeah. and they're back together and they're friends again right, and they're like, fuck right, you guys right. and they just right, like right. over and over. It's like how many times. It was like, I don't know if any of you guys watched The Walking Dead, but it was like like Rick and Negan for two seasons of, I could kill him right now, but I'm going to wait. And then he's gone. It was like the same thing over and over. I mean, more than anything, I think I was, I, in a lot of shows that I like, it, it has a lot to do with the character development. That's why I love Shit's Creek and I've watched it six times. I don't think the writing's particularly great in Shit's Creek, but I love the characters so much that I'll just keep watching it over and over again. And that's what this was for me, with, with mostly with Johnny and then some, with some of the other characters. And then in season two, we start bringing back more characters. And then now in season three, we bring back even more characters. Right. Elizabeth Shue's back. Everybody's back. That's a huge spoiler. Well, let, me reset, let me redo we'll, that. We'll take care of it. <laughs> like anybody didn't know that was coming at the end of part two. I know. Well, I don't know. She must have been a hard get. I bet. Oh, my God, Brian. How much do you think they paid her to come back? It must have been like a boat of money. An absolute yeah. boat of money. Okay. <laughs> so the end of season one has this great cliffhanger because dun dun dun, Crease comes in. Marty Cove, who plays Crease, who he's just I the master the of the timeline, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the master of the stink guy. He's got this sort of gaze that looks down and then looks up at you. That is just that's that's the money shot right there. He's, so that's a great a ending to have Crease come back. And then, but the, like season two was just like 
it's just a whole bunch of like repetitive, he's bad and why doesn't Johnny see it? And will they, won't they? Will Daniel and Johnny become friends? Won't they? I mean, it just got very repetitive for me, even with the kids introducing a third girl into the mix of making all these love triangles. Well, and I think that, I think part of the thing that I noticed that I, that was not, that was not in season one is they're, they're now kind of diving into soap opera territory. And maybe it's just a function of like binging the season. Right. So it's so, it's such a concentrated thing, but we're now like in young adult soap opera, like Riverdale or little liars. And it's like, uh, that's fine. I mean, there's an audience for that, obviously, but I think season one was definitely geared towards a particular generation Gen X and maybe millennial-ish, but Gen X for sure was the audience. The kids were a part of the story. Now the kids are the story. And so now we're in soap opera land. And I I find it too saccharine for my taste. Moving That's kind of my overall take on the whole series, especially into into season three is you have the two storylines, right? You have the adult Mm storyline and the kids. And those become you know, more and more, as you said, the kid storyline becomes way more prominent in season three. And I could do without the kid storyline. I think there's some great actors and they're doing, but I, but yeah, yeah it's, I know, me too. It's, to me, it's just stupid. It's, 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 it's some of it gets to be so fake and ridiculous. And I, I'm watching, waiting for those scenes to be over to get back to the adult storyline that's happening because yeah. I mean, it's the adult storyline is so, especially in season three is so well-written. I mean, in my yeah. opinion, it is. And even yeah. some of the kids stuff, the development of some of the of the major characters and the shifts we see in some of the characters, I think was great, but definitely yeah, the adults uh, better. And I just, and I just thought back, Lisa, your other question yeah. about season one, I just remembered what was my favorite part. And it was when Johnny had Miguel do the crane technique in his first match of the tournament and then looked over at Danny and gave him the wink. <laughs> that was one of my favorites. Yeah. At the end of season two, you have this other cliffhanger where Miguel breaks his back like the kids are fucking around at school and fighting at school and he gets tossed over a railing and he breaks his back and has to be in a wheelchair and so i love the scenes where johnny is trying to help him walk again oh <laughs> he's God, like yes. doing it's everything so wrong. Hand-fisted. it's so it is, yeah it's it so, so awkward I mean, it's, it's awesome it's, maybe it's not <laughs> politically correct but i thought it was fucking hilarious um, and let me tell you, so- the- go ahead bob it's so it's so great in, in in the very first thing he tries to get him to stand up and walk. You're like, oh my god, they're not gonna ham this. Uh, like a Johnny saves the day, but and I love that they not only made that a failure, but then continue with this harebrained ideas that were out of twelve year olds' mind in the eighties. Yeah, to try so to like, get him to walk again. He tries to like the kid's foot on fire. Or he tries to, I don't know, do all in the dirty magazine with a fishing <laughs> yeah. line in front of him. Like all of it. That was great. I will also yeah. say one of my favorite characters is Hawk. The kid who yeah. starts out his lip mm-hmm. becomes Hawk. And, and he's got a really interesting art to go from victim to victimizer. It's that chain of abuse that Johnny was a part of. But I just find that kid so... because. Because he is full on introverted, shy, and then over time he flips the script. When the the Cobra Kai producers approached Billy Zabka and Ralph Macchio to to do the series, what sold them on it is that they wanted to address bullying. Because 
every kid can remember being bullied. I mean, I remember I was bullied. I was jumped after school and beaten up by a big gang of girls. <laughs> and I walked home crying and I walked in the door and I said, daddy, a bunch of girls beat me up. And he like, didn't say anything. He like, get in the car. And he took me to his dojo <laughs> and I got into a women's self-defense class. And I think that is powerful too not feel like you're a victim. But after a while, the series really started to bug me because the victims become the bullies and vice versa, vice versa. And I know this sounds so crunchy granola, but why is the onus on the victim to get stronger? Why isn't it the bully that needs to be dealt with? Because even though I got stronger and yeah, if somebody messed with me, maybe I could defend myself. But that didn't help me from the girls who like, vandalize my locker and who I'd walk by and they'd say, you're a piece of garbage. Just the physical aspect of fighting back bullies. It's just not that I wanted to be an after school special and all that stuff, but it's so much more complicated. I think season one had a lot more nuance and especially with Daniel and Johnny, that relationship and who those men are, who they turned out to be. As the series progresses, we lose more and more of that nuance. It becomes more and more kind of polarized. I mean, right? I'm so confused by the, the boys were like, we were watching season three, yeah. like who's fighting who now? And, and yeah. what's, what side is everybody on? Like I, I couldn't keep it straight. It was just might makes right. I don't know, Bob, you're a, you're a man. What do you have to say about that? Were yeah, you unlike Brian. Were you picked uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Good work. You noticed. Interesting. Interesting segue, Lisa. Uh, <laughs> you treat me badly. Always. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I just honestly, I, I, when thinking about it now, you're right that it's it, and it's it's more than that. And in, in in season three, like, it's not just like the the victims get stronger to fight off the bullies. Then they come up with plans to be the bullies. And there's just, I just like, I really don't like the kids' storyline in season three at all. And I think that that's some of the reason is just it becomes very very unbelievable. And and thinking about it the way you just presented it makes it even even kind of worse because they just well, yeah. I mean, I know Vietnam- it's all about action. Like, I, I know that the producers think, oh, we just have to keep getting to more action scenes. That's what this is about. Just like any Marvel movie, you want to see the fight scenes, but right. it's just such thin reasoning. I feel like the Gen X audience, like myself, probably all of us that that were watching it, wasn't really interested in the Power Rangers fight scenes. It didn't do it for me. I'm glad that you mentioned the kid Hawk. Again, very few of those kids had any training prior to. Well, and I would say having been a part of this world now for a bit, like Annalisa Cochran, who plays Yasmin, and then Barrett Carnahan, who plays young Creasy, Gail Pillsbury, my boss, when we were casting One of Us is Lying for Peacock Streaming, they came through and they got cast as two of our leads. Uh-huh. So it was really great to like see these two and they are, I mean, like Yasmin, the character is such a bitch in this thing. Just Which the one worst. is she? She's, She's the, the blonde. blonde. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And Annalisa Cochran is like a pros pro. She is as nice as nice can be in real life. She came by the office and we just talked about craft and acting and all that. I mean, Barrett is just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Joe CEO who plays Kyler. He's one of these guys who's just a pro. And and it's these kind of people that I love seeing get work because they're deserving. They take their craft seriously. They're good at what they do. And it it just shows 
really how transformative the craft can be. Like these very nice people can play despicable people. It's the I just funny love thing that. about Marty Cove, who plays Crease. Marty also, even though he's been in a million things, his career, he was always really defined by this role of Crease. And he hadn't worked in a while. And we were casting something on Criminal Minds. And he's a friend of Joe Montaigne's. And Joe's like, hey, uh, could you, uh, you know, cast my friend Marty in this <laughs> role? So, so we did. But I'd never seen The Karate Kid. So we do the table read and all the cast and guest cast show up. And people keep staring at Marty and, and saying, sweep the leg, Johnny. I don't know what. <laughs> any of this means whatsoever and he's just kind of smiling and you know nodding just the nicest guy and but he is definitely not doing his own martial arts in in this season i mean he doesn't know how to do anything i mean i'm sure that i could probably throw him over my shoulder i mean he's it's definitely a stunt double doing um anything anything else you want to say bobby baby one actor and this isn't a spoiler because it was in the trailer but Yuji Akimoto that plays Chosen. What did you guys think about the, the it was basically a whole, a whole episode where Danny's, Danny's with him. And you, and you see, for me, I loved the, the way he portrayed his character at, at the first meetings. It was, it was rough and funny too. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we see him and he goes, I don't want to explain exactly what happens, but the time spent with Danny. I loved his role, like the way he played that for the one episode or so he was in. Yeah, we call those a bottle episode where it's only in one little one little place. But yeah, I mean, I never saw, he was in Karate Kid 2 right. and he was the bad kid in Karate Kid 2, I guess, who's real well, sick. Well, Karate Kid 2, he's a badass and he looks like a badass. He's got that right. jet black hair and it's just, and then to see, like, talk about a rude away, like, <laughs> coming eye to eye with their own mortality, like seeing this guy and going like, dude, that guy's old. Like he looks like an old man. Like the way he's- They keep flashing back and forth. So they keep flashing back, yeah. Dark relief. Yeah, so I didn't know who he was or what that story was, but because they flash back so much. But yeah, when he has, we can spoil this. So he comes across as being very still angry at Daniel and wants to challenge him and is kicking his ass and literally hits these pressure points that makes his arms like collapse and stuff. And then- turns on a dime and is like, I'm just kidding. I don't and he's laughing. And, and he's laughing. having a good yeah. time. And you, in the first scene when they're having drinks, like I, I laughed so probably harder than I laughed at anything in the whole series when Danny wants to get up and get a drink. And, and he said, no, I get it. And he, <laughs> and he goes and gets the drink and puts it down. And it's just, it's so awkward. You can feel it in your living room. And he's like, aren't you going to have yeah. a drink? I don't drink. <laughs> like to go from that guy to the guy that's laughing and joking with him later. Like that was, I, I, it was fun. I thought it was really great that they, it was they, a great twist. Yeah. yeah that they brought yeah, it back. For sure. Well, this has been our coverage of Cobra Kai, and I think it's just been wonderful to to think about these characters this way, to think about what it takes to cast something like this that's going to have this longevity. And did you know that the Karate Kid, like, eth- people have written essays and theses about the Karate Kid. And in fact, at Harvard University, the director of pedagogy and practice has a whole, like, breakdown of how the Karate Kid matters. <laughs> In, in teaching pedagogy, which I think is amazing. So thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Daddy, for coming okay. on and, and sharing your, your wisdom with me. And Bob Ruff, you big so-and-so, thank you for coming on and <laughs> helping me with it's, this. It's my pleasure. Can I make one request? Sure. If 
somehow you managed to get Billy Zapka to come on the show and talk about this. I need to be a guest, okay. uh, <laughs> a, a special guest back with you. At the very least, let him know that I, that me with my no knowledge of acting whatsoever, think he's my new favorite actor. Uh, <laughs> but I'd much, I would love to sit here and maybe interview him as Johnny. I have questions. Oh, that's great. So I know, so Billy Zabka and Marty Cove have the same manager who I know and have hired many, many of his clients, including Marty, of course. So I did put in an email to Gary, Gary, if you're listening, that we'd love to have Billy and Marty or, or one or the other, whatever on the show. And we'll ask you, I've watched all the interviews they've already given and all the stupid questions people ask them, but uh, we guarantee we will have great questions for Billy and Marty and Bob. We will definitely bring you back to question him. So I guess that's it for now. This is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting was created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Sound editing by Dean Laffin from Real World Productions. Logo art by April Laffin. Theme music provided by Amphibious Zoo Music. And Big Fat Opinions provided by Brian Allen Hill.